1: high-profile public figures, and regular folks like me. You love talking politics and religion without killing each other. Thanks for spending some time with us. Enjoy today's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are talking politics and religion without killing each other. So glad to have a place to talk politics and culture and important stuff without a bunch of screamers. And As always, if you like the show, tell a friend, leave a review, and definitely subscribe. I'm your host, Corey Nathan, and so glad to be joined by our two guests today, Brad Edwards and Bryce Hales are the co-hosts of Everything Just Changed, a podcast that is about good faith participation in community, grace-saturated conversations, and all committed to the common good. I give them a ton of credit for having really impressive, engaging guests, and I have a knack for exploring some great topics, relevant topics, and consistently thought-provoking ways. Brad and Bryce are also pastors at the table church or table church or table, the table. (laughs) Either way, all of the above. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Which is, as they put it, rooted in selfless love for our fellow man to such a degree that we are never fully able to achieve it, (laughs) as as they confess a humble hypocrisy, which I love all about Mm -hmm. dichotomies and contradictions held in poetic tension. Brad, Bryce, thanks for taking the time. How are you both doing? Good. Thanks for having us on here, man. Yeah, thanks for having us. This is fun. Yeah, you bet. You bet. So just so folks get a sense of who you are, I wanted to ask about each of your backgrounds. Uh, Brad, starting with you, I was fascinated to learn you spent time in the Army National Guard and then served as a chaplain in the National Guard. But you also have all these creative pursuits, a photographer, uh, there there was the art underground. Can you tell us a, a bit about all that and how you got to this point as a pastor and podcast
0: mogul. <laughs> uh yeah. oh, wow, podcast mogul. That that is uh I've never been accused of that before. So that, No, I yeah, it's funny. I I feel very much like a, a jack of all trades and a master of of none. And so uh, my kind of background growing up was very kind of secular, I don't know, midwestern conservative, generally speaking, but I was, I never set foot in a church until actually after I graduated from college and, and became a Christian in the end of my junior year in college. And so my whole career track prior to that was actually geared toward federal law enforcement and was a defensive tactics instructor and went to college on an ROTC scholarship and all of that fun stuff. And so uh, it was it was entertaining if it weren't so painful that how much God just kind of grabbed me by the scruff and yanked me into what he was calling me to do, which is now we're, you know, doing ministry in hyper-progressive Boulder County, Colorado. And so it's, it's a slightly different cultural end of the spectrum, so to speak, but it it also has given me like a profound appreciation for, you know, people outside of, you know, any tribe I find myself in, in any given moment. Cause it's, that's changed a lot too.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Well, well I, I have some questions about, you know, your upbringing and, you know, when you went into ministry and all that, but I got to know on your, I, I see, I'm kind of digging those bookshelves, man. Like what's, <laughs> uh, what are some of the the writers that are populating those shelves? Oh man. Some I'm
0: you know, I'm happy to name and others I'm not because I try to, <laughs> you know, read a, a pretty wide swath of, of perspectives, but I don't know. I, I would say just in terms of like influence or, or what have you, like the ones I'd recommend is I, I, I had the uh, honor of being able to participate in Redeemer city to cities, a uh, fall church planter intensive one year in 2015. And so I got to meet and hang out with Tim Keller and I, his books have been profoundly shaping uh, for for me, especially right after I became a Christian, uh, the reason for God was like, just, yeah, I can't even, I, I'm lacking the words to describe how how significant it was. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff up there. I, I think a lot of pastors see themselves as, you know, pastor theologians. I think I kind of err in more in the direction of like pastor sociologists. I'm fascinated by culture. So, you know, whether it's Andy Crouch or uh, Makoto Fujimura, Anthony Bradley, you know, the intersection of culture and and faith uh, is very interesting to me, and so there's a lot of stuff up there about
1: that. That's awesome. Yeah. So David Brooks is uh, I don't know mm. if you, he'd be a professional sociologist, but definitely an amateur sociologist. And his work is definitely among my favorite. His his columns are just every week I read his columns. But one of the most influential books I've read over the last couple of years is his his recent one called The Second Mountain. Uh, mm. And it's, it's kind of at that intersection that you're talking about. Absolutely. Bryce, You did you grow up in SoCal?
2: Yeah, I was born and raised in Orange County and then um, escaped from behind the
1: Orange Curtain. So you did Westmont for undergrad, graduate work in, how do you say, it? Edinburgh, Edinburgh? Edinburgh, Edinburgh, yeah. Yeah,
2: I went to seminary in Scotland because I'm a Presbyterian. So I had to go back to the roots, you
1: know, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, Love skiing, loves a good IPA, loves his childhood sweetheart, who you married after undergrad, loves your four kids. Hopefully you figured out what's causing it or are you guys still working on? Uh...
2: Yeah, the the fourth one was statistically
1: improbable, <laughs> but we figured it
2: out after that. Okay. Know?
1: All right. Yeah. <laughs> so f- fill in some of the some of the background and bro- what what brought you to this point?
2: Gosh, you know, I, I think in some ways, what I would want to say is I have always loved to build things. When I was, you know, a little kid, I would just go down into our garage and my dad is not handy in the least. And I would just find scraps of wood and start building stuff. And when I was like eight years old, my parents were doing a remodel on our house and I, they took me with them to the architect's office once and I was obsessed. It was awesome. There, there's these little models and sketches that he was doing. And so for years, I thought I was going to be an architect. And I, gosh, I was such a dork that in high school, I took drafting classes, like as a high school student, because wow. I wanted to, to do that. And, and you know, I mean, long story short, God kind of grabbed the hold of my life and led me in the, in the ministry. And yet I've always had that sort of building impulse. And so, I mean, it just as a hobby, I love building stuff, woodworking, metalworking kind of stuff. But I've always been in like startup entrepreneurial ministry context, too. So we planted a church in Orange County. I I started a campus ministry at the University of Utah. But now here, so about five months ago, I moved to Colorado to work with Brad at the table. And, and, you know, that still continues to be kind of the, the thrust of my role here in terms of spiritual formation. How do we actually build into people the sort of, you know, heart for following Jesus that, that radically transforms everything about the way that we live.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you both touched upon this a little bit, but I was curious to know for each of you, what point you decided to go into ministry and and, and what kind of reception did you get from family and friends when you told everyone, you know, you're, you're going to go be, become a pastor. Well, I can go
2: first because go for it. I, I'm guessing my reception maybe is a little bit easier. I mean, I, I kind of, you know, some of, my, some of my story in that regard is that I, the church really saved my parents' marriage. I didn't grow up in a Christian home for the first several years. And then my parents, I think we're headed towards divorce when um, the church entered our lives when I was about seven years old. And so, I think just the influence of the stability of the church, but not just as an institution, but the the centrality of who Jesus is was just so important and and informative in my life. And then as a high school student, as I was kind of beginning to wrestle with, is any of this stuff actually true? And if it is, it's probably really important. If If it's not true, then it's not really even a great place to like socialize. And so I really began developing a relationship with my youth pastor at the time. And so I would say that that was like the second time that the church really intervened in a positive, formative way in my life. And it was that youth pastor who first kind of suggested to me, you know, I think I might be calling you to pastoral ministry, which was terrifying at the time because I wanted to be an architect, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What about you, Brad?
0: Yeah. So I didn't grow up in the church, like I said, at all. My Parents would have considered, and they would have said, my dad had said many times uh, that he is against organized religion, and sees it as, as inherently abusive. And uh, so when I became a Christian in college, it was on the tail end of being pretty dramatically humbled <laughs> and having my identity kind of torn down by just the realization that I was not who I thought I was. I was not the good person that I thought I was. And so that and a year later, when I started feeling called to ministry, the, the reaction from my parents was this very much like this, like, cool. I don't know what to do with that, but you're going to help people. So go, you, you know, it was, (laughs) it it was, it was like, we're supportive because it's you, but we don't understand this at all. Hmm. And, um, and so that was, that was really interesting. And Like, yeah. And even to this day, it's always like this thing that, kind of pops up every once in a while as a surprise of like, oh, I forget this is a difference here. And because like my, my primary family in many ways is my spiritual family now. And that has now shaped me as much, like far more actually than the family I grew up with in some ways. And so it's a, it's a really interesting dynamic, but my dad is also a a military veteran. So everything I did in through the chaplaincy and everything he is, was highly supportive of that too, that, because his identity is very much, tied up in that. And so there was, there's, there's some common points of, you know, shared experience, but for the most part, it's, it's, it's a fun challenge to navigate for sure.
1: So you say you became a Christian uh, as a junior, when you were a junior in college, were you exploring the possibility of a different spiritual route? Like, could you have become to answer some of what you were struggling with or questions you were grappling with? Is there a possibility that you would have become a Buddhist or a, you know, Zoroastrian? I don't know. Sure. Uh, yeah,
0: it was funny. I I would have. I, I described myself back then as an agnostic deist, and and you know, basically the way that came out is like I believe that there is a god, but he sure as hell isn't your god. Mm. And and I was, you know. Not necessarily Pauline, in the sense of like going around and persecuting Christians and stoning them to death, But I was trying to with my words. yeah, and if the the new atheists were around back when I was college, I would have been like big fans of theirs. And so, yeah, my coming to faith was in the in the midst of my being an active, having active disdain for, for Christians and going around and making fun of them, like to their face.
1: Were you flying spaghetti monster guy? Was that, was that you?
0: Again, that wasn't, that was, you know, gosh, it's so hard to know if I would have like been a fan of that (laughs) back then, because I absolutely had that attitude, Yeah, but I think I have a better aesthetic sensibility because like, what a dumb picture, honestly. Uh, (laughs) And and I I know that's the point, but anyway,
1: yeah, yeah. So, so Bryce, you've used the term who Jesus is or to know Jesus uh, a couple of times already. And, you know, as we discussed before hitting record, some of our listeners are agnostic. Some may think of themselves as atheist or humanist. That that language sounds weird, right? Mm. Uh, could, Could you demystify or maybe at least explain what you mean by that? What I mean I mean about who Jesus is? When you use language like that, what, what does that mean to you? What do you hope to communicate both to other folks in the church, as well as maybe folks who hear you that aren't believers?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that is unique about Christianity is that Christianity uh, is a historically grounded faith. And so You know, we we can talk, explore that in a lot of different ways. But I think at the essence, the claim of his of Christianity is that there was a man named Jesus who lived at a certain place in history at a particular time. And he claimed to be the son of God. He claimed to be God incarnate. And so that that truth claim is either true or false. Mm. And the way that I feel about that is a secondary matter when it, when it comes to, you know, lots of people have different feelings about Jesus and that's good. And we want to talk about that and explore that. But I, the, the primary question is he either was who he said he was or he wasn't. Right. Lord, liar, or lunatic. Yeah, exactly. I mean, C.S. Lewis famously said, you know, any anybody who claims to be the son of God either actually is that person or they're lying about it, or they're crazy, you know? And so, so, so if Jesus really is crazy or if he's lying, then I don't think we should listen to anything he says. And I don't think the idea that, well, he was a really good moral teacher. I mean, I don't, I don't follow like David Koresh's moral teaching. I don't think anybody (laughs) claims that we should, right? Anybody who claims to be the Messiah and who isn't, we should not listen to them. And so, you know, there's been a, a couple points in my own kind of life and journey where I've had to really wrestle with the reality of, is Jesus who he said he was? And if he is, then, he, then I have to respond to him. And so, like I said, how we feel about that is a secondary issue. But one of, one of my real kind of passions and convictions now in ministry is that I'm not sure a lot of Christians take the historical reality of who Jesus is that seriously. Mm. Either, and so I think a, a lot of Christianity, and we're probably going to get into this more uh, a little bit later in our conversation. A lot of a lot of Christianity is kind of functioning on the premise that Jesus makes me feel good about myself. I think that's that's a pretty um, flimsy approach to Christianity. I don't think it's actually Christianity <laughs> at its at its heart so yeah i don't know Does that does that answer your question <laughs> Follow well <up> or? <laughs>
1: yeah no i mean it feels it it colors in some of the some of the blanks here I, I i want to be sure to i guess it's because you asked me the question that you did before we started recording them sure. I'm cognizant <laughs> of the fact that yeah some people i love and and respect and and really appreciate that that listen to these conversations are like the hell are you talking about <laughs> you know like sure. so so to speak, what the hell are you talking about, so to speak? Um, yeah. <laughs> so.
2: Well, you know, I mean, there's another there's another kind of way to even even kind of think about what I just said, which is that, like, if Jesus is if Christianity is like a way to feel good about myself as a person, mm-hmm. then I think that has to be rigorously defended against attacks or maybe attacks is too strong of a word, but sort of has to be defended against people who say, well, I don't actually feel that way about Christianity. Mm. And so who are you to then say that I should feel that way about about Christianity? And what, what I'm saying is Jesus either is the son of God or he's not. And that truth independent from the way that I feel about it. Right. And so I don't have to defend I don't have to defend the veracity of Christianity against people. Now I'm happy to have that discussion and talk about why do you actually believe that this is true and legitimate? Yeah. But I don't have to do that in a way that is antagonistic towards people who don't agree with me.
1: Right, right, right. That makes sense.
0: Maybe one way to put some flesh on what Bryce is saying too, is like in my own story and coming to faith, I had had like my own self-understanding and self-awareness, my identity, my dignity, value, and worth just dismantled and torn to shreds because I thought I was this kind of chivalrous, well-intentioned guy that as long as I had good intentions, I wouldn't hurt anybody. And it was on the other side of, of a bad breakup where my ex in college actually like, begged me to let her leave a room where I was when I was breaking up with her so that she could go quote unquote end it all mm. and Ooh. i i was like devastated because i knew that that was the right decision that i that, that we would not work it wasn't actually good for her it was not good for me but i had good intentions and i still hurt someone bad mm. And it was because of a friend of mine from high school who pointed out to me the story of David and Bathsheba, who David had this terrible, like took advantage and used his, his royal authority to sleep with a woman who was married to his friend and he was caught red-handed and, and it, was, it goes bad, right? Yeah. But it still says in the Psalms that David is a man after God's own heart. And my friend points that out to me and I am like existentially in this crisis of how is that possible? In what way can David be a man after God's own heart? Oh, well, it's because to the degree that it is, it, he actually is a foreshadowing of who Jesus is, except Jesus is the one who was able to actually do the things that David had maybe good intentions and, in, but was still compromised fundamentally. And, and Jesus is the one that actually, loves the church so much that he would put his life on the line and dies for the church dies for god's people in ways that david put his selfishness first Mm. and it's just like oh my gosh jesus's love and selflessness can be my identity and that is the thing that like changed everything but that that's just sentimentality if jesus isn't if if, if it's not rooted in history if it didn't actually happen Mm, then we believe a literal fantasy
1: right So I was going to take this down another path, but you've raised my curiosity about some other things. So there are some either ors in the Bible, and and you've both articulated. Is it fair to say that either Jesus lived, died, and rose again, or the rest of it kind of falls apart? Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. Okay. And if so, okay, there's that. How many other either ors are there? Uh, You know, for we, I think we talked the other day about this, that the fact that I live in uh, Santa Clarita, in the Santa Clarita Valley, where John MacArthur uh, runs master's university. And for him, it's either six literal 24 hour days or everything is, you know, he, he might even say that you're not a Christian if you don't believe that part of it. So for you, how many either ors are there? And what might be what what might they be beyond Jesus lived, died, and rose again?
2: You know, I I I guess I would say i want to be as generous as as possible. Wait, and I got to pause for a
1: second because <laughs> Brad has this look on his face, like, "Hey, Bryce, you take that one. Let me see. How... <laughs> <laughs> no. you, let me see how you get yourself into trouble with this one." <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. Sorry, Bryce, go ahead. <laughs>
2: Well, I—I I mean, gosh, we could get into a a really deep conversation about you know kind of epistemology or the nuances of of theology, but I, you know, I, I think it comes down to the Apostles' Creed. I mean, what what have all Christians historically affirmed? You know, the, um, the the deity of Christ, that that God is a Trinity, that He has spoken to us through His Scriptures, that He He created the world out of nothing and that Jesus will return again. I think, I think that's, those are the either ors for me, you know, which isn't to say that the other things don't matter that, that, you know, the Bible teaches truths that we can study and understand and we can believe are important and we can, you know, hold them in kind of in a, in a with a posture of humility and say, you know, other Christians may legitimately read the Bible differently and come down to Sort of different positions on some of these things, and and um but yeah, I mean, when it when it comes to like w- where do you draw the line in the sand? Yeah, I would go back to what have all Christians historically affirmed for two
1: thousand years? Yeah, yeah. What about you, Brad? Well,
0: I was I was just going to say I kind of want to question the premise of the question a little bit because like Western culture is incredibly binary. It's, mm. it's influenced by Greek dual of the sacred secular. It's the, the, These are either or categories made ultimate in a lot of ways. Yeah. And scripture is a Middle Eastern document. Uh-huh. It is not so dichotomous. And there are a whole lot more neither nor's and a whole lot more both ands and a whole lot more I have no ideas in, in scripture than there are either or's. Yeah. And so like it, we, if we only apply that lens, it's it's actually going to do violence to what both God and the human authors intended with what is written. So, yeah, I mean, there are some in there, but, you know, we should actually let scripture inform our categories too, instead of trying to force ours
1: onto it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just realized if I asked a question that, annoys the crap out of me when it's asked of me. <laughs> you know, <it's>
0: like, <laughs> well, so, th- that's most pet questions pastors get. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's okay. So, well, I, I remember before I actually became a Christian, you know, I, I've subsequently developed other theological convictions, but not categorical ones like that. They're they're, man, there are too many lines in the sand for, you know, and, and every conclusion I arrive at, uncovers a gazillion more questions but before i became a christian i whittled it down to two of the most empirically verifiable things to me that would be the least empirically verifiable to anyone else and those two propositions are there is a god and i ain't him (laughs) so that was it that's good it's a good starting point that's a great starting point (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) So so we could we could go down this rabbit trail quite a bit because anyway, I but one of the other things I was curious about as it relates to family, certainly through your podcast. It's not it's not that you have a particular partisan slant, but you definitely question certain uh, default postures that in the political realm that, you know, if you're among other American contemporary Christians, it's like you you're asking questions and exploring topics in such a way that push back against, well, you know, we all kind of are this way. The, the basic assumptions mm-hmm. of, of American Christendom, if you will, have you had a chance to get into conversations about social issues, politics with your family, childhood friends? And uh, if so, what's it, what's it been like? Oh man.
0: Well, yeah. Depending on who we're talking about, those go very differently. Okay. Like in my own family, my own family immediate family is is probably significantly further to the right, but not necessarily more conservative than me, if that makes sense. And, but like, I think what you're hearing on the podcast is primarily and especially the fruit of having wrestled in a context that is, is very interesting in how simultaneously homogenous it is like, this is a very progressive place. And yet, because it is that homogenous and it's also blacking a lot of like kind of evangelical subculture breathing down its neck. There's a surprising amount of freedom and openness to having conversations that would be remarkably volatile kind of most any other place in the country. And so there's kind of a freedom and some room to breathe conversationally that I think is really helpful and fruitful. And, and too, most of the people at the table at our church have come from contexts where that hasn't been allowed And they would probably consider themselves like post evangelical in the sense that, you know, this doesn't seem to line up with the Bible that you're telling me to read. And I don't know what to do with that. So there's a cognitive dissonance for them walking into the table or coming to this place that kind of by definition makes
1: that a lot easier. You know, it's funny you say that, because I remember this had to have been like it was definitely pre 2004. But by that time, I was starting to come to the conclusion that there were primary identifying ingredients to this community, the, the church that I was going to, that didn't reckon directly with what I was reading in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And it's, been, it's, it's in, a, in a way that's, this podcast is is, I'm exploring, a lot of those issues. And I've been mm. kicked out of Bible studies for asking some of those questions, and, you know, but I, I don't know if it necessarily has to do with the questions themselves as much as me kind of being a butt, you know, in the process of asking it. But <laughs> Bryce, how about you, man? Like, have you had some of these conversations, social political issues with with family and friends that you, that you grew up with? Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. So, you know, in some ways, the podcast has been fun, because it, it gives us a chance to talk about these things without and, and kind of define where we see some of the like the, the contours and the nuances. But I mean, I, I don't know that I'm that different in in the sense that like, you know, I've had had conversations with with friends and family members that have um, been really frustrating and gone very badly. And, uh, <laughs> and, and occasionally we've had conversations that have been more productive, but I, I, I think my interest has often been almost wanting to t- kind of take a step back and say, now, what are the factors that are leading t- to those con- conversations? Because I, I've not, not exclusively, but, you know, I've only been here for five months, so I'm still getting my feet on the ground, but before this, my ministry context was in, in South Orange County, that is, you know, actually more politically conservative, and and so that kind of syncretism between you know conservative politics and evangelicalism uh, is still alive and well, and well, I, maybe not well, still alive, <laughs> alive and struggling, and so I've often wanted to kind of say, let's take a step back and and let's think about like what's actually driving the conclusions that people are coming here to here because if we're saying that you know again like uh, as a christian if we say that jesus sort of reorients our perspective on reality and yet our perspective on reality seems to be more informed by politics than by faith you know that's what i want to put my finger on mm. th- those are some of the questions that i'm wanting to ask
1: so so you we've talked about the table I'm curious in starting a new church if you thought there were unmet needs uh, this church could address, or if you thought the way that we do church in America has been off course in some ways, and you could provide an answer to that, I I guess overall, why start a new church and and what's different about the table?
0: Oh man. Well, in one sense, there's nothing different about the table in terms of, this we're, being a christian church right like like bryce was talking about earlier the historicity of mm. the gospel and and the personal work of jesus the church is just as historically rooted and grounded and is concurrent has concurrently existed as long as the gospel has and even before jesus um came lived and died and was risen right so um like there the church is needs to stay historically rooted and to answer your question, part of the problem that we're seeing is is a lack of historical roots in the church, and be, and with that lack of anchoring, the church get ta- gets tossed to and fro every which way by the winds of change and culture. And so, on one hand, our 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 kind of intent and hope, and and also what was kind of lacking in this place was a certain degree of we'll call it sanctified boringness. Uh, <laughs> Because, because the, the, it can't be if it's new, it's probably heresy, right? Uh, but it, but at the same time, there are the church is kind of a as an institution is an is both organization and organism. And that means that there needs to be a, a fresh embodiment of the gospel among God's people in a given place. And so the it, kind of some of the weird dynamics of this place are such that like nobody who who lives here is is necessarily from here very few people are and so you get kind of like a lot of imported you know generally left-leaning white american culture is imported into boulder county and the christians who are here largely don't interact with it not not many not not all of them anyway and so that that left an openness and this, this need for a church that was able to engage with the concerns of our progressive neighbors, but from a place that was historically rooted in, in biblical. And so we just found, and and part of this is just like my wife and I's love of hospitality too. We're from the Midwest, like Midwestern hospitality is like a, a category of, of life. Right. And so <laughs> to, to name the church, the table and to be thinking about this in terms of hospitality and relational and creational generosity that really struck a nerve and resonated with people here. And so, but then again, I've, I feel like every church plant is also like it's it's not just one church plant. It's actually like five or six church plants because you end up like learning more about the place as you go, and you're reinventing it the entire time. But what I would say the biggest thing that we've realized is in this place and i think this is i think this is true across the country as a whole is that there is a longing for a a third way past tribalism and a truth that is actually big enough and transcendent enough to to be a source of meaning and dignity and worth for people who differ on many many things mm. and that is so rare in culture and society right now. That's, that's actually the church's one job, honestly, <laughs> um, is, is for that to happen as the fruit of preaching and living out the gospel. And so, yeah, I don't know. Is that, is that kind of what you're asking? Or right?
1: Yeah, no, you're, you're touching upon it. You're definitely touching upon it. I, yeah. you know, so my buddy, Tommy uh, wrote this paper, actually, some of these questions are in my head. Cause I, I reread it for the first time in about 10 years. He, I, I realized that he wrote it when he was a missionary in Pamplona in Spain and he was just realizing what the church sent him out to do wasn't wasn't meshing with what he thought the gospel what the imperatives that you might derive from reading your bible well and 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 in totality so I'm curious uh salvation plan A salvation plan B it sounds like you resonate a little bit so just to fill folks in the salvation, the plan A, plan B thing. A lot of times when you hear about evangelicals, folks want to uh, convince you that, you know, about what happened to Jesus. But it's more about like say a magic prayer so you can go to heaven kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm totally oversimplifying it. But, you know, Tommy was was grappling with a different with whether the Bible was saying something different, Um So curious as to your thoughts about, you know, about having read that article, curious as to your thoughts about all that.
0: I mean, yeah, this is why an appreciation of history and culture is actually super helpful uh, American individualism said, hold my beer to general Western individualism. <laughs> and, and, and so American evangelicalism has been significantly shaped by, you know, the, the first and second great awakening where there was, you know, a, a emotional appeals sprinkled in with a, a lot of like very legitimate spiritual awakenings, but there's a lot of emotional manipulation that came with that. And that, This idea that we are saved by praying the sinner's prayer or our decision as opposed to God's inclusion and invitation is is part of like more American individualism than biblical Christianity and that has profound I mean your your friend who's a, a missionary is going to be just slapped in the face with that once you get outside of the American context and I think part of the the language of hospitality and the vision for you know a, a theological vision for hospitality at the table is rooted in this idea of covenant which is the the simultaneous you know individual gods like, pursuit of individual people, but upon and even before salvation often comes through belonging in his covenant community. Mm. And so there isn't this hardline divorce or distinction between the individual and the corporate love of God in the same way that we can't single out God as Trinity, as divine community, or the three persons of God. Like right. it, the it, it, it mirrors the Trinitarian relationship. And so, yeah, I, I aim into that. And that's part of the, I think that's a lot of, even if people aren't able to articulate that, I think that's what a lot of people find refreshing. And that's honestly, that's just Presbyterianism too. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know,
2: well, I mean, I, you know, I, I think it, when it's, it's pretty clear in the new Testament when Jesus is inviting people to follow him, he's not inviting them simply to pray a prayer so that they don't go to hell. Right, right. He, he's saying, I, I want you to enter into a way of life that is about following me into my kingdom way of living. And my hunch is that, I, I mean, I, I don't know this specifically, but a missionary going to Spain with the message, like, pray this prayer, say that you believe in Jesus so that you don't go to hell when you die. You know, in the, in the context of Catholic Spain, nominally Catholic Spain, everybody's going to be like, I've, I'd like, I've done that my whole life. You are not offering me anything here, right? But but Jesus is not, you know, the, the message of Jesus is not this truncated, like, here's a way to win the, you know, kind of life game or something like that. <laughs> it's it's about a way of living that is generative and, and a blessing to, to everybody else, to the nations, to our neighbors. And I think that's, you know, that's what's lacking in a lot of Christianity today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We say at the table a lot that, you know, we want to be the kind of church where you don't have to believe in order to belong. I love it. but Not because believing isn't important. It's because we, we, we are convinced that believing happens through and because you belong uh, both to a people and to a God. And so that's actually a statement that of,
1: of, of the order, not the importance. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So just to circle back to that paper, I think Tommy at the time, this is early 2000s. Tommy at the time was, was wrestling at, at our church. We had the equivalent of sales managers for lack of a better word. So they were constantly on. i like, how many souls did you save today? You know? So oh boy. yeah, no, I mean, I I'm putting it more bluntly and maybe sure. not giving a fair treatment to, yeah. how, but I certainly felt that when I, the first time I visited him, it was on a short-term mission trip. it's like, you're all going to go save some souls, you know, like as if it was an inventory, you know, that check, 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 you know? (laughs) So, but I, I, to your point, you know, doing church is, it is participating in, in this grand redemption plan, you know, like we're, we're, we're part of this, we're part of the story, you know, God is going about redeeming his creation, right? Mm. And we're, we're part of that. You know, mm-hmm. individually as well as collectively. So so speaking of one, a recurring theme that you explore on Everything Just Changed, the podcast. Mm-hmm. I, I love the way you put the in one of them. I wrote the the I wrote this down, the anti-hero of individualism, which has become the protagonist of American culture. <laughs> I want to make that a bumper sticker. Um, so <laughs> can you they might have to drive a little too close to be able to read that. Yeah, right. Well, my brother's favorite bumper sticker is "Jesus may love you, but everybody else thinks you're an asshole." So, so, so <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so, can, uh, you, can you? You you already have been talking about the distinctions between an individual versus a community mindset, but you know how how it just if you could share a little bit more contextually how it's fed by contemporary culture and and, and what the ideal balance should look like.
2: You know, I mean, maybe, maybe it would be helpful to even just talk about where, how Brad and I kind of, in some ways it's like where our friendship began and, and certainly where the podcast began was that, you know, he, he was planting a church in, in secular left-leaning Boulder County. And I was planting a church in kind of conservative right-leaning Orange County. And yet we kept running into the same issues and, And we would ask questions of friends and it was like, Brad was the only person that understood what I was talking about in terms of ministry. And and so what what we began kind of realizing was that something other than like the principles that people are articulating had to be driving a lot of what's actually going on in our culture right mm-hmm. if if i'm dealing with people who are who are saying well it's about you know family values and it's about uh, financial responsibility and yet they're making the same sorts of decisions as people mm-hmm. who are articulating more progressive values then then what's actually underneath that what's actually animating you know the way that we live in the world and interact with people and we sort of just like stumbled backwards into this reality that actually individualism and the, the idea that we can sort of be the master, of, you know, like we're, we're, we're living in this choose your own adventure. And it's up to you to find your way towards the ultimate conclusion that that is actually underneath both kind of,
1: you know, the secularism of the right and the left. Mm. That's, that's an interesting way to think of it. That oh yeah. So the David French piece from from Sunday that it's a mm-hmm. it's a horseshoe that the two polar opposites. Oh, he said horseshoe.
2: Play. I didn't read that one yet. Dang it. Oh man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Did you read it, Brad?
2: <laughs> yeah, I did. It it is like, yep, this is exactly what we've been talking about. David French <laughs> is stealing our theory now, is what you're saying here. <laughs> that's pretty much it's it. because he listens
0: to our podcast.
2: <laughs> that's right. That's right. So by the way, what what prompted you to start the podcast? Everything just changed. Well, I mean, it was sort of that, what I just was articulating, but then it was really like in the early days of COVID when our job as pastors went from like, how do we grow church plants? to like, I guess I just do a sermon on a video on Sunday morning. And so Brad and I were talking on the phone. And at one point I think I was, I was the one who was like, we should just record these things and, and start a podcast. But yeah, really we were just so impressed with our own brilliance. As we, were talking. Yeah, yeah. we said, Oh, somebody else is bound to want to listen to this,
1: <laughs> you know, but it, it,
2: it, it was really when, you know, there was the early days of, of, of kind of the lockdown and the pandemic when everybody just stayed home and nobody did anything and then it wasn't that long before things started being politicized and polarized, and when we started hearing, you know, conservatives complaining about wearing masks and using the phrase "my body, my choice" unironically, yeah, yeah. it was like, hold mm-hmm. on, something is going terribly wrong here. Yeah, and you know, we, you know, I think we we're just trying to find a context in which to give voice to some of the things that we were like the questions that we were wrestling with really, because I don't know, we're pastors and we got to talk, we got to talk about it out loud together in order to figure out what we actually think about anything.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting,
0: man. Yeah. It's so interesting because you know, when, when I, when we planted the table and all the way up until the pandemic, I really felt like I had a good handle on like, what the kind of cultural trends are in terms of like where things are going, what people like, what's kind of happening underneath the surface, but what the pandemic did was accelerate whatever cultural and spiritual trajectory we were already on. And it, i I've, I simultaneously over the last year and a half and, and thank God uh, for the, for our podcast, because I'd only feel one of these two things. And the first would be, like, wow, I feel like I understand what's happening far more than I actually ever did. But I also feel like I don't have a clue mm. what is coming down the pike or where things are going as a result of that. And so I feel like I can, we can, I, I don't know, I don't want to speak for Bryce, but like, I feel like I see more clearly now and I'm a lot more humbled by and less confident about what's, what is coming up, but it is largely a result of the, uh, both the opportunity and the kind of miraculous resources of people actually saying yes when we ask them to come on our podcast like nobody has told us no yet so if you're looking to start your podcast (laughs) it's remarkable how few people actually turn you down if you're like hey can we make you the center of attention for a solid hour (laughs) and talk about what you love talking about most turns out they're really happy to do that. But also like the podcast gives us, it has really just given us the excuse to wrestle with what we're seeing day to day. And, and now we have a reason to ask people beyond like, Hey, I'm just a random pastor who wants to talk to you and pick your brain. So,
1: <laughs> exactly, It's
0: really helpful.
2: Yeah.
1: So I'm sure it's hard to distill, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of hours of conversations down to, you know, one, uh two minute answer, but any major takeaways so far, What what have been some of your biggest epiphanies?
2: Oh gosh.
1: Um <laughs> I guess I just did ask you to distill hundreds of hours <laughs> <Yeah>. of <conversation. laughs> or pick from the plethora a yeah, single well, you've had some yeah. great guests, man. I'm
2: envious of, of So I I would say maybe two two things that I don't know if I would say epiphanies, but just sort of takeaways from, you know, it's been about 18 months that we've been doing the podcast and conversations we've had and, and you know, like I said, initially, it was Brad and I just kind of like thinking out loud together and and then we've been able to pull some other great conversation partners in and 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 learn from them. i I think the two the two takeaways that I would say, one is just it it has really helped me feel much less alone. It, it's been it's been really fun to see, you know, initially, it was just the occasional friend who, I guess, you know, stumbled across our podcast, probably, I probably started going like, what are these two yokels? About anything? <laughs> and, um, and, but they're like friends texting us and going like, wow, you guys are, you know, you're, you're scratching the itch that I didn't quite know was there. Mm-hmm. And so that's been really fun to see that, that there are both kind of pastor friends, but there are also, you know, in some ways it's, it's maybe people who are maybe tempted to give up on the church going, okay, there's something going on here that I want to listen to. So it's helped me feel less alone. I I think the other thing I've, as I just like take a really big step back and look at the view from 35,000 feet or whatever is uh, I I've been thinking a lot about the word integrity lately. And when I look at just everything that has come to light in, 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 well, I was going to say in, in American culture, but especially in, in the Christian church that the pandemic has revealed like the, the, the word integrity is like just banging in my head because I, I don't know about you. I sort of grew up with this idea that integrity is like, is about moralism or, or mor- morality, right? Mm-hmm. Like it people with integrity, like you don't tell lies, like, gosh, darn it. Just try harder, be better, like be a good person. But in integrity, the word integrity comes from the word integer, which means wholeness. So if a, if a truck drives over a bridge and the bridge collapses it's because that bridge didn't have integrity right uh, it wasn't a whole and i think one of the things that has just been revealed in the christian church and we've ta- we've had numerous conversations and gotten uh, gotten at this in different ways in the podcast is just the the extent to which the christian church in america lacks integrity Mm-hmm. Um, not in the sense that everybody's a liar, although, you know, we've seen that too, but there's sort of like a, a two-facedness to Christianity, a, a lack of wholeness, a lack of, you know, being, being the same, being the same person in every context. And so, again, I mean, this goes back even to what I was saying about what your question about what does it mean to follow Jesus, that, that if Jesus's claims about who he was are true, that's got to reorient everything about our lives from the ground up. And I think so much of what we're experiencing in the church is about sort of, um, you know, an an attempt to sort of like pursue the American dream while also maintaining belief in Christian principles. Mm. And that is is not a position of integrity. That is a, a position that's pulling the church apart and is pulling individuals apart. And yeah, I think we've just been able to explore that in a lot of different ways. Hmm. And I think in more hopeful ways than the way I just described it
1: too. So. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Brad, would you add anything to that? Like, have you had epiphanies or or discoveries that so far?
0: Yeah. I mean, gosh, like Bryce said, I don't even, it's hard to narrow this down, but as a whole, it, I think the relationship between individualism and institutions is is very interesting and, and important for us to be thinking about going forward because as individualism has become a, a a more significant cultural factor and influence, institutions have decreased at least on pace and on par. And so, You know, it used to be, you know, we even use the language of brick and mortar institutions, but historically speaking, institutions have been like the shelter that we are able to take refuge in, in the midst of the, you know, the weather, the cultural weather changing or climate changing, except as individualism becomes more prevalent, then our distrust of those brick and mortar institutions goes away. But in has slipped this, you know, this thing we call social media, right, which instead of you know, being a brick or mortar refuge is this network of like almost spiderweb like connections where you can be as connected to people as you want to be from across the globe and the distance has shrunk. But the problem with that is instead of protecting you from change, you are far more sensitized to it. And it reverberates along those threads. And now like, yes, we're more connected, but it's it's serving as a counterfeit institution in the sense that like you're not you're expressing it's for expression not formation Mm. like you're not being shaped you are you are being fed a lie that you are the doing the one shaping but you're not the spider you're lunch (laughs) right and that is that is like socially speaking profoundly anxiety inducing yeah and that anxiety along with you know you know whether you're talking about negative polarization, tribalism, politicization of everything, like that's part of what's driving all of that. And what's needed, and I think this is the optimistic uh, you that's know, my next question, yeah. Trajectory that Bryce Br- Bryce was talking about is we need more greenhouses. We need more an approach to institutions that resemble not brick or mortar of old, but not the spider web either, but greenhouses where it's you're not just being sheltered from the outside you're actually it's actually facilitating growth it's mm-hmm. flourishing anyone who comes in and not for the same, sake or purpose of staying inside but being sent out and planting itself and putting roots in, in 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 other places so it it has a purpose that exists not just for itself or for those who are inside it it exists for the purpose of like blessing and flourishing the world externally as well and we're going to say that we're going against the grain right now to, to, to want to build those kinds of institutions is, is an understatement, but I I, I'm convinced more and more that that's the only thing that gets us out of that mess.
1: Interesting. Mm. As an amateur sociologist and from where you're sitting as a pastor, why in the world are these conversations so hard?
0: Besides the pandemic.
1: (laughs) Well, no, I, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know it's interesting. I've, I was thinking about this question in terms of I don't know if you've been following uh, Facebook changed their name to Meta. Meta. yeah. And the, all of this conversation around the metaverse is really interesting. One of the concerns I've heard expressed about that is the way that it will impact particularly like poor and vulnerable communities in the sense that it provides a, an addictive outlet that anesthetizes our the pain of modern life and i think that that is a, an exponential increase from the way that we functionally use social media as escape and but what we're escaping to is actually more subtly so but even but also more manipulatively so increasing and harvesting our anxiety by increase sorry it is it is actually more subtly but more manipulatively stoking anxiety in order to harvest our attention and and that is a recipe for escapism and in social media we are kind of we're, we we don't no but none of us actually do that vulnerably it's not really vulnerable especially if you're not like in the room with someone never mind looking at them uh, a video like these are orders of magnitude less vulnerable and i think mm. I, we are in a place where we are realizing how much our relational mus- muscles have atrophied mm, yeah and it is hard to get off the couch and go for a run when you don't run every day. It is hard legitimately to not yell at each other because in a lot of ways, that emotional escalation is what we, we kind of uh, subconsciously generate in order to get past the the anxiety or the fear we have of putting ourselves out there. And so there's just a lot of like (laughs) deep psychological challenges that systemically, like everything is making that harder right now. Um, it has been for a while, but I think we're only just now able to uh, see it and and articulate it.
2: Bryce, did you have anything to add to that? Why are these conversations so hard to have? You know, a lot of it, I think, is based on what I was saying about integrity a minute ago. I think that some of it is we, we are of two minds. You know, we kind of have this idea that we should be nice to each other. We should be able to converse with people who disagree with us. But then we just kind of want to be right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, some of it just comes down to like, no, I don't. I don't want to like talk politics and religion without killing you. Like, I want I want to talk politics and religion in such a way that you agree with me. <laughs>
1: yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> well, right. I mean, that's the individualism part too, right? Uh, it's not that you just disagree with me. My identity is on the line that I'm for me to be right. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. and so it's 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 not like.
1: It, it...
2: Gosh, it's not the case that, like, I have a few principles in my life that I'm committed to, and yet I'm looking for conversation part to help further, you know, refine my ideas and help me learn more. And so when somebody disagrees with me, it's an opportunity to test what I believe and to maybe, you know, be corrected. You know, it's not that at all. It's like, I mean, if anything, you know, not to make everything about social media, but social media reveals just how petty some of the things that we get worked up or, about our, mm. you know, if I don't, if I post a picture of something and I don't get the number of likes that I want, I'm frustrated by it. And that, I think that's what's happening in a lot of ways. It's like everything is now something to be outraged about.
1: Right. Mm. Right. Yeah. I know. I noticed that play out the other day. I um, posted something. I thought I was posting in favor of free expression and objecting to those. It, it was about Chappelle. And uh, object, I was objecting to those who deplatform him because they didn't they didn't like his content, you know. And it, it became something that went beyond just not liking the way he presented his argument. In fact, I think a lot of folks who had the biggest issue with him never actually watched the special. But my my post was about support supporting free expression. Well, there were a bunch of people. Who wanted to talk about it? That that began to comment, and then one person in particular came in with heavy artillery, uh, mm. and it wasn't just critiquing Chappelle's performance; it was it was turning it into something that was that was so antagonistic that it, it was inspiring not just hatred but violence, and also intimating that my support my support of Chappelle. It wasn't really that. Not that I. It was neither here nor there. But my support was also inspiring hatred and violence. So mm. after that comment, and then I got into. A, I tried to talk with this person because she's a friend. And uh, but but what I noticed was nobody else was commenting after that. Mm-hmm. You know, be, because somebody came in with heavy artillery, and and that person then, or or that, it wasn't necessarily that person. It was that. Tenor, that that mm. note. Yeah. There was no other conversation that, that could have been had at that point.
2: Yeah. So, well, I think in a lot of ways, that's the effect of individualism. It's you're not attacking an idea or we're not, we're not discussing ideas. You're attacking me as a person and you're doing violence against me. Mm. And so, you know, that's, I, I suppose, the justification for the illiberalism yeah. of saying, no, we're not even going to talk about this now.
0: Well, yeah, because the more we lack healthy embodied relationships where those relational muscles don't atrophy, the more disembodied we are by social media, the more words like disembodied violence becomes, feels like a threat. And like Bryce said, if if our identity is on the line and it's not just a disagreement, then it it kind of actually makes sense that some people would, would experience it that way. That's actually damning, not necessarily of like their... I mean we can have the conversation where that's damning their individual attitude and and yes it is but we can't just stop there this is a systemic individualism that is is kind of tearing us apart and and making room for that kind of thing so right. that's a, that's like a perfect illustration yeah. yeah
2: well and i think the tragedy you know again as as pastors and as christians is that i really believe that that christianity provides the resources to, to to move beyond that, because Christianity says your your identity is not rooted in who you are or what you've achieved, but your identity is actually rooted in the person of Jesus and what he has done. And so we don't have to be defensive, we don't have to win you know to be a christian means that you've already you've kind of become a christian by admitting that you've already lost and you've mm-hmm. already failed and and so the tragedy is that in the moment that we're living through christians aren't aren't behaving that way Ooh, yeah and, which means that something other than what we say is the center of our faith is actually operational in our lives yeah and so I don't think we can really look at our, you know, friends and neighbors who aren't Christians and be, you know, super um, frustrated <laughs> that that the culturally these conversations go the way that they do. Because I, I don't know that we can really expect anything different. If if you have to justify your existence in that way, then of course you're gonna defend yourself tooth and nail. But Christians mm. shouldn't need to do that. And the fact that, that that's what's happening so often is you know, it's tragic. Yeah. The, the pandemic and combined with
0: the ongoing and then escalating culture wars has really been the stress test for the evangelical church. Exactly. That has really exposed how, how true that is and how nominal or merely cultural, a lot of the church, the white evangelical American churches, Christianity actually is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I just want to encourage you fellas, uh, what you're doing with the podcast and, and everything that I've seen about the table you are uh, you are part of the solution from from what I've been able to just uh, tell. In that, unlike other churches I've seen, or or when I've gotten into these types of uh, conversations. What you're inviting people into, whether it's listeners to your podcast or folks at your church, you're you're inviting them into something. You're not you're not convincing them of, of a transaction, but you're inviting them into a conversation. You're inviting them into a, a project. You're inviting them into even a way of life in a way. Not to make it out to be, hmm. you know, cultish. It's just you're inviting them to the table. So yeah. it's um,
2: well, I do think we are hopefully inviting people into a way of life, but it's not about following us as much as it is about the way of life of following Jesus. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that reminds me in this, gosh, everything we've been talking about, like there's this passage in Joshua, at the end of Joshua chapter five, that just haunts me. And it's where Joshua is is approaching and Israel is approaching Jericho and they're getting ready to attack it. And, joshua sees this this angel and it's it says it's the angel of the lord so it's like a likely a pre-incarnate jesus but this he he approaches this angel and it says he asks him you know are you for us or for our adversaries Mm. and (laughs) and the angel says no oh (laughs) (laughs) no but i am the commander of the lord's army and now i have come And it says, Joshua fell on his face, fell on the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? So Joshua recognizes that this is God come down to, 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 uh, how, how should we say this? Reject the premise of his question and the false dichotomy. Right. And, and, and I think Bryce and I's hope is just like, Hey, let's, let's pay attention to when God says, no, you're both wrong on the culture wars. The problem is not, am I on your side? Is it, it's, are you on mine?
1: Mm-hmm. That's an. Interesting and he way does that
0: it. not with violence, but with love and grace. And that is what is lacking,
1: obviously, yeah. in the culture wars. Yeah, so often I think that, I, I just think that we need to be reminded that Christ's path to victory was through the cross, right? Uh, so I know we're up against it time-wise. So two more questions. One is, and you can each uh, answer this. Do you have any questions for me?
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, I, I mean, Corey, why would we want to talk politics and religion without killing each other? <laughs> <laughs> why, why, like, why is that even a noble goal? I mean, that's my question, too, because as
0: we've been talking about this entire time, that's kind of hard right now. Yeah. So are you uh, masochistic? You, why, wh- why is it worth it to you?
1: Well, the illustration I shared a couple minutes ago is, is the reason is that I really think that there's a lot of folks who want to be able to talk about this stuff, but can't because the conversation is mm. being dictated by the loudest, most extreme voices. And if you express anything that is one degree shy of absolute orthodoxy, you know, in my friend's case, um, I, I hate to distill it down to the word woke, but like anything short of pure enlightenment of, of whatever her belief in, it's like a moving target. So it's, it's hard to even talk about, but, you know, or, or other friends from church, you know, if, if you're, you know, if, if you even ask the question about, you know, this Trump character, he's, he's not our guy. Is, is, Is he really our guy? You know, even asking that question, you, you, you'll get kicked out of, Bible studies—you might even get kicked out of certain churches. So, I think that most people—not whether it's most or there's there's a lot of folks who want to ask these questions, who want to talk about this stuff, but can't mm-hmm. because of yeah. of of the of the temperature of of the room right now, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we're doing, I guess. In a way, we're creating—I was going to say a gated community of sorts, but it's like a multicultural, mm-hmm. multi generational gated community, is somewhat of a safe space, but I, I don't, it doesn't necessarily need to be safe. We can have dangerous conversations, but mm. safe in a way that it, I still affirm you, your humanity. I still mm. affirm yeah. your dignity as a human yeah. being, you know?
2: So. Yeah. So maybe since Brad piggybacked on my question, my follow-up would be how, how are you doing that? Because, you know, I think there's a lot of, you know, illiberal ways we could do that, right? Where yeah. we could say like, we're going to have this conversation until people start shouting and then we just turn off the tech. Or we could say only certain people are allowed in the conversation. But but if we want to have genuine conversations, you know, like you said, that are sometimes dangerous with people who genuinely disagree about things that really matter, how do you navigate those those
1: conversations? Well, it starts close to home, you know, I start the first couple episodes we're just me and my dad talking, you know. Because mm. I, I don't know if you know guys know this about my story, but I, I grew up in a very observant Jewish family. We went to an Orthodox synagogue. We, was, you know, just kept kosher, observed all the holidays. We weren't like once a year Jews. We were Jewish. My family still is Jewish. I consider myself still Jewish. So when I became a Christian and I affirmed the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that was a big deal, mm. uh, and it was to say that it was hard to talk about with my dad in particular is, is the understatement of the year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, I just started close to home having difficult conversations. Yeah. Now it's 20 years on, 20 plus years on. So we've learned how to navigate these issues and we've, you know, we've had a lot of these conversations, but we're still talking, you know, mm-hmm. so start there. Some of the early guests that I invited again, were folks that I knew disagreed with me on, on critical issues, politically, theologically so it's just a good exercise to do that you know and then subsequently a lot of the guests that we've had on are are more sort of teaching us how to do it you know mm-hmm. like my you guys had michael where we had michael ware on as well mm-hmm. folks like that we just talked to um russell moore this week mm-hmm. uh, awesome yeah just a wealth of knowledge or or going at it not not from a religious point of view but from what's going on in our culture like i hate the idea that so many folks just ge- have this generality of of you know. Well, you can't trust the media. Like, really? Is that a total statement? Categorically, like you can't trust the there's the, like so we had we have on reporters on a regular basis. We had on Jake Sherman. We just released that episode this week. That was great. Thank you. He's yeah. he's a great reporter, and there's great journalism. And by the way, there are great reporters at Breitbart. There are great reporters at Washington Post. There are great comment. There's great commentary happening on all different. So, yeah, I I probably answered more of your question than than you bargained for. But any other questions (laughs) I could. Oh, so I could come on to, uh, you know, everything just changed and make sure that you never have any listeners ever again. (laughs) So so you can ask me a lot more questions. No, but uh, speaking of which, how can we find more information about you, more information about the table and everything just changed?
0: Yeah, I mean, we we can include the link to the podcast in the show notes. We have a a Substack that we occasionally write for uh kingandkingdom.community as well as a Facebook page that we are just Starting up to kind of facilitate and create a space for conversation because we think it's actually really important. Despite the fact that I am still convinced that Facebook is the doctor evil of <laughs> of of social fabric, so we
2: are we are convinced that it is theoretically possible to have a meaningful you know interchange on a, a social media platform, and we're going to try that, and so. Yeah, we we're doing that. And yeah, but just search for everything just changed anywhere
1: you get podcasts, Spotify, Apple podcast, etc. We're all over those places. That's awesome. And on the website, I love that chart that that opens up the king, no king, kingdom, no kingdom. That's a yeah. great. I, I, It's very yeah. thought provoking. So really yeah. appreciate you fellows coming in and spending the time. I, I, we, I held you a little bit longer than uh, than I planned. But there's so much more to talk about. I want to have you back. So Yeah, well, we enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having us. This was fun. Yeah, man, absolutely. Thank you. And as always, if you like the show, please hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review and comments wherever you get your podcasts. And most importantly, tell a a friend about us. Now go talk some politics and religion with gentleness and respect and have a great week. Thank you for joining us today. If you appreciate what you've heard here, please go to iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Give us a five star rating and leave a review. That really helps move us up the chart so others can find out what we're up to here. For Ronnie Nathan, I'm Corey Nathan, and we've been talking politics and religion without killing each other. We'll be back in a few days to do our little part in Tikkun Olam.